0: Everyone to episode seven, season one of our Superior Sales Disruption podcast, which is brought to you by our media partner Retail World, Australia's premier publication for the grocery and the FMCG industry. As will be the case throughout, I am joined by my comrade, uh, Mr. Mark Trulson. How are we
1: down in Melbourne today, Mark? I'm sensational, Jamie, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to an interview with Mark Powell with you. Uh, being an alumni of CUB, I've always admired the work of Mark Mafar. Even though for nearly a decade he was in enemy territory at Lyon, uh, what are you looking forward to,
0: mate? I, I'm looking forward to um, really. Uh, you know, we've had a bit of a chance to work a little bit with Mark uh, in 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 our in our programs that we do at Superior Sales, and uh, mate, he's a go-getter. I just I just love his he's you know he's he's got a tenacious. Uh, um, um, personality um, very much a people person so I'd, I'd call him on my disc radar as he, he definitely has a high eye um, very you know very likable guy and very very good with people so uh, but I'm, I'm interested to see uh, a little bit about his uh, his journey and uh, and how he relates and you know how he leads the team here
1: at uh, at Lyon so uh, yeah fantastic so without further ado Mark Powell
0: Welcome, everyone, to today's podcast, which we've got our guest today is Mr. Mark Powell from uh, the Sales Director of Lion Beer Australia. Welcome, Mark. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Mate, uh, you had a busy weekend, so it's great that we finally got you back from Port Stephens. And, uh, and uh, my uh, comrade down in Melbourne, Mr. Mark Trulson. how are you, Mark? How's, how was your weekend, buddy?
1: Sensational, mate. It was my birthday, so uh, very happy uh, to be alive here on Monday and uh, looking forward to speaking to Mark Powell.
0: Fantastic. So, um, yes, it's, uh, it is a pleasure to have you today, mate. So, uh, what did you get up to on the weekend? Well, we're actually talking about birthdays Had the mother-in-law's 80th
2: that we were celebrating up in Port Stephen. So, it um, wasn't exactly in a wild affair, but it was a, uh, it was an enjoyable affair anyway at the new banisters up there. Excellent. Fantastic,
1: Mark. Um, what I was uh, uh, wondering about is uh, Jamie and I have been doing this podcast with many esteemed leaders like yourself and where we normally start as in all great storytelling is from the beginning so could you tell the listeners where you grew up and uh, possibly where you went to school?
2: Absolutely yeah well I'm I'm actually a Taswegian so I grew up down there in the Apple Isle, Uh, spent a good uh, 16 years down there, did all my schooling. Um, I'm one of seven so um, dad actually uh, moved the whole family down there from Melbourne, he was a builder, and so uh, all seven of us sort of grew up in um, in Hobart. Um, great place, love it. I always thought I was Tasmanian until the parents told us later on that actually we're all born in Melbourne. Uh, so uh, I, um, <laughs> I've got all my fingers and, uh, and uh, no scar on the neck either. But um, um, it's, it was a great place to grow up. It was a great place to our schooling. But as soon as we finished, um, Dad, being a typical builder. Um, wanted us all, um, as soon as we finished school to go and do uni, um, didn't want any of us to do a trade and, uh, want us to get uh, educated and then sent us to the mainland straight away. So it gave us a thousand bucks as soon as we finished university. And, um, most of us all managed to get jobs either in Melbourne or Sydney in the family. So that's how I ended up in Sydney. And what university did you go to? Man? Well, there was only one down there at the time. So it was a Tasmanian university actually down in Hobart. Okay. Um, so, and that was back in the days. It's a lot harder now with all the ATAR scores and all the rest of it. Back then, it was um, as long as you passed grade twelve, you got entry into university.
0: And what were you studying? What was the uh, what was your degree?
2: Well, that was um, that was interesting too because um, when I uh, when I finished school, Dad was you know was really keen for me to go and do a commerce degree. And of course, as with most eighteen year olds, you don't want to listen to your father, do you? And do what they do what he tells you to to do and so I actually applied for hospitality college to start with and um, Hobart had a great hospitality college down there and I went along and did the interview and um, while I was there I found out that you actually had to wear a tie and jacket each day along to um, I think it was Drysdale house where the college was and um, and then I asked the question as well. I said after you you know, finished this, if you wanted to further yourself more, um, what what could you do? And they said we well, could go to university and do a commerce degree. And so I thought oh, bugger it. I'll just go straight to uni to the commerce <laughs> degree. And so Dad thought I was
0: listening to him, but I wasn't really. So <laughs> well, hopefully, when your dad hears the podcast, he might get the real story <laughs> if you haven't already told him. So yeah, but no, it was a good thing. It was a good
2: thing to do. I, I loved my numbers back then. That was one of my strengths. Was the numbers and uh, went, went off there and, and did that. It was a combined economics sort of commerce degree. So I actually really enjoyed the uh, economics part of it as well.
1: I did the economics and commerce too and I hated the numbers. So uh, that's why I sort of went off into marketing and you probably went off into sales.
2: <laughs> that's right. Yeah, well, it's, it's a handy thing to have for sales anyway, but... Uh... <laughs>
0: It's, uh, it was good. We generally have a pretty, uh, a bit of fun around the whole sales and marketing uh, um, uh, piece where uh, obviously Mark's from a, a marketing background and uh, um, you know, I'm from a sales background and uh, um, yeah, certainly they're a little bit more, uh, as we call it, joined at the hip nowadays. But uh, back in our day, uh, sales and marketing were very, very segregated, and uh, uh, it was a bit of an us and them. And uh, uh, you know, share any stories that you you uh, enjoyed There's, with a marketing colleague?
2: There was there was always a lot of finger pointing, wasn't there? Either side there, if something went really well, everyone took claim for it, and uh, and if it didn't, it was like it was well, marketing you stuffed up the proposition, or sales you stuffed up the execution. So. Um, yeah, no, and you're spot on now. Like you, you've, the alignment you need between sales and marketing um, is probably the most important alignment in any of the FMCG companies, and um, and it's something that you know we work on really hard here at Lion as well because um, the less business we can do with each other, and the more we can do um, in just getting the right result out there in the marketplace. Um, the the better the result we get. So yeah, no alignment, and we, we actually even score each other now. We actually do, you know, everyone loves surveys these days, don't they? So um, we do that, and we have some pretty open, honest feedback about it all as well. So,
1: so you've made uh, formal steps in place to to ensure that the, that alignment uh, gets done on a da- on a sort of weekly, monthly basis.
2: Yeah, well, even even going back a few years, um, we used to have sort of like the. Um, strategy on a page for each of the functional areas. would have one for the overall business and one for each of the functional areas. And then a few years ago, um, back we actually combined the sales and marketing one. So we said, let's have the same goals, um, you know, targets and measures. And um, and that got really good alignment. And then we all sort of signed up to similar bonus objectives as well. Um, and then we also have a lot of people that switch in between sales and marketing as well. So. And I think the more you can understand each other's roles, the better you can work out, you know, what, what, what areas overlap and where we can get really good alignment from. And then recently, you know, a really big focus now has come on um, keeping the customer at the heart of everything we do. And, you know, we've had some chats to you guys about this as well. And, and getting everyone on the same page of what the, the customer's strategies are has really helped with that alignment as well.
0: Yeah, perfect. And um, yeah, just for the listeners, mate, um, where where did your career start? So uh, take us back. on, um, um, we do use the the terminology occasionally. Uh, uh, Me Mark as dinosaurs. So I'm not sure if uh, you're in that uh, in, in in our boat, but uh, where did your career start? And uh, and who and what got you into FMCG, mate? Yeah, well, it was interesting actually. I, I actually started
1: life
2: as a chartered accountant. So mm-hmm. um, I finished that commerce degree down in Tassie, and at the time then. There would have been, there was so many job offers available to commerce graduates. So we had, back then there was, there was eight big accounting firms and they all came to university and they'd do the interview and they'd fly up for the weekend and wine and dine you and try to get you to, to join their firm. So um, I did that with a few mates. We all moved up here and um, jumped in a house and I started with Price Waterhouse. And I actually did eight years with them. I started off life as an auditor. And then, um, then when we had that recession in the sort of late 80s, early 90s, I'd sort of switched across into corporate recovery. Um, and there was plenty of work there. And then I took up overseas and had a year backpacking and, um, and ended up in London. So the Waterhouse had transferred me over there. And there was plenty of work in London as well in that corporate recovery. They had, the, they had a similar recession a little bit later. And I did, uh, we were over there for about three years in the end. And that was a great time. And then we did some more travel on the way home and um, came back um, around sort of like, you know, 95, I think it was back in the Price Waterhouse. So,
0: okay. So 95 back into, into, into Melbourne or? Into Sydney. Into Sydney. Into Sydney. Okay.
2: And a lot of the receivership work had, or insolvency work had dried up by then. So I did a little bit of corporate advisory for a bit, but then I was really keen to get out and um and start a career outside of outside of price waterhouse so i applied for a job at coca-cola Amateur. okay i actually applied for a job as a um sort of like one of their finance accountants so uh, in the reporting area and they rang me up and i thought i'd be a lay down i wouldn't have any problems with that and they, they sort of rang me up and said look we, we, we we're not going to choose you for this role and i was a bit disappointed i thought god i thought i was you know not a bad operator and they actually said, but we've got another role that we think you might be interested in that might suit you a bit more. And it was more a commercial role, but working pretty closely with the sales teams. And, um, and so I said, oh, I jumped at that. Cause I thought Coca-Cola was a great company and they were booming overseas in, especially in, in Europe, they were building up, they were like the anchor bottler for the Coca-Cola company. And they would have been, they would have had the distribution, manufacturing distribution rights in about 16 countries in Europe. So, it was a really interesting time back then too, and they were pretty leading edge on some of the things they were doing around um, economic value add and all sorts of things. Um, and so I, I jumped in, they did that commercial role there, and I was in there for about a year and a half, and the sales director actually tapped me on the shoulder and said, um, look, we, we reckon you might go all right in, in sales, or we might start you in account management. But um, what we really want you to do is we need you to upskill and, and help, help everyone with their financial skills because um, back then it wasn't an absolute prerequisite of the account management team or the sales team um, to have that sort of skill set. But they, um, CCA had very good um, customer contribution reports and all sorts of things like that and they knew their mix and margins and all that from all their products um, the systems were fantastic. So they really wanted someone in there to help with those guys. So that was how I got the lucky break in the end to um, sort of go across. And I used to work with a lot of the sales guys and I used to look and think, it can't be that hard, can it? They send to be the footy or at lunch or, or doing whatever. Um, and it was. It was a lot harder than I thought <laughs> that it was going to be. And it was a big transition. Um, but it was, yeah, something that I, I, was, I was a bit lucky at that time to get that opportunity.
0: It's um, ironic that you to sort of raise that because uh, one of the things that um, we're working with a lot of our uh, companies that we work with at the moment, Mark and I, that back then it was all about storytelling. The numbers weren't something that people really understood how to use properly. Like so, you know, you're saying that you're asked to come from an accounting background to come into sales and and really try and strap in the numbers to um, communicate that to customers with their with their storytelling and their 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 old school sales um um pitches and and techniques so um you know nowadays we're finding that there's too much emphasis on the numbers yeah uh, there's too much emphasis on and they're really you know particularly the young up-and-comers have really lost a bit of that storytelling capability which is what mark and our programs and, and myself bring to uh, a lot of clients like yourself is that really bringing that together. And m- maybe we've gone a bit too far. It's like a, a whole 180 from, you know, back in the days where uh, you're at CCA and little birdie tells me that uh, uh, one of our, uh, one of our other guests, um, uh, Mr. James Lane, obviously the former sales director. So you, you and he sat across from each other at some, some stage uh, in that, in that Coca-Cola world. Yeah, we did indeed. I was there for, um,
2: I had eight great years at, at CCA and um, I've I got a lot of time for CCA. It was a great company. I really enjoyed it. Um, I really wanted to work from, when I went from sort of a consulting role in Pricewaterhouse, I wanted to join a branded FMCG product company. Um, I thought that would be pretty exciting. And, uh, yeah, no, James and I worked together for a good and actually I followed in his shoes a bit actually, because he was, he used to look after the, uh, the license and leisure channel. And I sort of jumped in there after that. He was always a good guy actually to follow cause he's a very good operator. Yeah. So, um, it wasn't too much to tidy up there. And, uh, and also there wasn't as much upside you could get as well. So, <laughs> which made it a little bit a little bit more difficult, but that was great. So I, I, I loved all that Worked with James in that area there. And then, um, we both of us actually went out and ran some of the field teams, so um, it was good to go from that sort of head office account management side and then into the people management field management side of things, which is again different skill set fantastic.
1: so um we're going to get on to some of the people development stuff soon, but just before we do that, um as you probably you know would have heard you know Simon Sinek and others talk about purpose, and you talked about lion's purpose about being customer orientated and having the customer at the heart of your activity. Is there any sort of mantra or purpose that drives you from an individual point of view, Mark? Yeah, it's
2: a, it's a really good question actually. And when, you know, I first joined Lion, which was, it's now 16 years ago. Um, they had this people proposition um, that was basically, it was pretty a simple people proposition. It was three things. It was like, be the best you can be. Um, really make a difference, but have fun doing it. And it's interesting because we've had a few MDs come and go over that time and catching up with the previous MD in December last year from here. You know, we were having a bit of a talk about that.
0: Who was was that? Andrew Reeves.
2: Okay. Yeah, Andrew Reeves. And he was still mentioning that um, he just thought that was a great mantra and it really resonated with me as soon as I got here because I think – that's all we ask of everyone: is be the best you can be. You know, turn up and 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 be the best. And then the other bit is like always trying to make a difference, and that can be interpreted lots of different ways. But to just don't go in and do your mundane job. You know, be curious about how you improve it and how you can change things and what you could learn. And then the other bit too is you've you got to have you've got to enjoy it. If you don't jump out of bed wanting to come in for work, um, and it's something I've had with Lion for 16 years. Um, you know there's never been a day um, other than maybe a little bit dusty every now and again. But there's never been a day when you've actually when I've not wanted to come into work because love the company, the people you work with, and the and the industry and the customers. So I have had one job a long a long time ago, which was actually in between CCA and Lion, and um, it was probably my worst experience of a of a corporate role, which went for about seven months. Um, but it was a it was it was a job with a transport company. They were merging all these different companies that they'd acquired and we we're in a finance role there and they'd brought in about five to set this new team up. And it just didn't work. None of the companies that came in wanted to cooperate and it was a real nightmare and it wasn't until my wife just said to me, she goes, look, you're a, you're a happy, engaging guy. This is job is really getting you down, pull the pin. I don't care, like just resign and I'm sure you will be able to find another job. And funny enough, I actually worked with four other colleagues that we'd set up this area. We all resigned on the same day together. It oh, was, wow. Yeah, it was, it, it, was, it, was, it was that bad that we all sort of went, let's just pull the pin oh. on this. And when we went and spoke to our boss, who would you know, only have a short time, he said, I was wondering how long it was going to take you guys <laughs> before you left. And he resigned as well. So it was <laughs> I was
0: going to ask you at the beginning who was the transport company. I <laughs> think we might leave that alone. Uh, um, but uh, just if I can uh, just step back from that. So, so you're in, you're in a, uh, CCA, you're in the in sales role, and, and then you stepped out of that to go to the transport company for a short period of time? I, I actually
2: did the transport role before I went to CCA. Right, so okay. I had
0: had a, I actually had a a, um, a friend that was doing
2: some consulting work in there, and he thought the company might be a, a good opportunity to go and work for. But it didn't turn out, so I went to CCA and, and had the eight years there. Right. Okay. Because
0: I'm just thinking you know, to to have gone from Coke to back to accounting role, and then you've no. obviously jumped, nuts, so you've no. moved through. So, and after Coke, you uh, went to. I, I came across Stroke the line. Alive. Yeah. So yeah.
2: Andrew Reeves was actually the MD at uh, CCA. Yes. Yep. And so he came across with Jeremy Lowe's. Yep. And um, a little while after that, they gave me a call and said, would I be interested to, to come across? So, um, and that was a good time. We had young family. Um, uh, Lisa was keen. We'd been in Sydney for quite a while. And then she said, and I, and I said, look, I'd like to join, but I want to go interstate. And so they said to me, all right, we'll, we'll give you a gig down in Adelaide for a while. And so um, we packed up the uh, family and the house and moved down to Adelaide. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic move. It
0: was well, a really, really good move. Because that, uh, that, that's one of the next things that, I wanted, that we were going to cover off that you, you, you've already sort of touched on. What were some of the key turning points in your career path? And it certainly sounds like the... Uh, the transport, uh, seven or nine months or whatever it was, uh, was a pretty big turning point uh, that you worked out. Hey, you know what? If I'm not getting out of bed and bouncing out of bed and enjoying what I'm doing. So. Yeah. What other turning points would you say were highlights or you know, even ones that may, you know, you look at the you know, even the Coke, you know, they said uh, no to coming in as the as the accountant and, uh, or in the chartered accounting area, but Hey, we might want you to go into sales. You, you said you felt a bit deflated because you, you thought you'd get that job. Exactly. Yeah. So. You, do. you get, you get
2: sort of knocked around a little bit, but I reckon that those inflection points there's probably a couple for me. There was one when I worked with, um, and I know we're talking FMCG, but when I worked with Price Waterhouse in London, I got sent out for this job in the Czech Republic and, um, it was, it was one of the big banks out there. It was after the, the Velvet Revolution had happened and um, the, there was a lot of corruption going on in all the financial industries. And there was quite a few Aussies that used to work in the office there and they used to sort of flick us the, the hardship jobs, you know, heading out there. So I had to go out there and I really didn't know what I was going to do when I got sent to the Czech Republic to, to review this the, the bank and all the rest of it. And I was like, wow, this is going to be a total fail for me. And it sort of turned out that we just methodically went through myself and this other guy and found our way to do the review and get all that done with all the language barriers and all the rest of it. And that gave me a huge amount of confidence, I think, in my own self to think I could be thrown in the deep end and actually survive okay. And then when I switched in CCA from commerce um, across into the sales area, I had a lot of confidence that I'd probably be able to do that. Um, and that was there, and that was similar when I left CCA, which you know really enjoyed that role there. And we packed up and moved to to Adelaide. Again, I thought it was sort of like it effectively it was a new industry, new company, and a new state. And you sort of went, went, "Oh shit!" And I'm dragging the family down there as well. I'm thinking, "Oh, how's all this going to go?" Um, and I reckon it was one of the it was a really good um, point in time for me as well because it made me sort of pull up a bit. You didn't know everything you had to ask a lot of questions. You had to learn. Um, and you know, when I was at, when I was at Coke, I was probably quite competitive. And then once I got across into lion, I found I had to drop a bit of that and had to start becoming, I was the leader of the business down there. You had to listen to people and get everyone along with on the ride with you as well. So it was a, it was a really good turning point for me that again gave me a bit of, all these things build your confidence up over time and you can sort of look back on them and, and get some good learnings from them.
1: Now, Mark, um, as you probably know from our past, you know, for nearly a decade there, we were sort of enemies, um, you being at Lion and I was at CUB. Um, but one thing we all at CUB revered was Lion's emphasis on people. Um, you had a legendary HR director at the time um, who really put a focus on people. So could you tell our listeners what your philosophy on building and managing a team and, and, you know, what was the influence of the HR director at the time?
2: Yeah, I reckon the best thing, um, that our HR director had, it was, and when I, when I arrived here, it was, you were reviewed, um, for the job you did, it was results, times behaviors. And that was the big thing. And, um, it was in other, you know, at CCA, I think it was probably leaned a lot more towards results and, and not the behaviors. So, you know, they didn't, it wasn't necessarily that important how you got your results as long as you got the results and that creates a very competitive environment and then it can create um, quite a passive environment as well because other people then start opting out of that. And um, a very big thing for Lion when I got across here, you know, they had these 10 behaviors that add value. Um, I was sort of thinking, oh, I reckon people just pay this a bit of lip service and whatnot. And when a new CEO came in, which was about a year after I joined, he wanted to change some of the values and behaviours of the business. And I remember being at the leadership conference and there was a bit of uproar, actually, and and a bit of a vote that happened that said, hang on a minute. Um, I know you're the new CEO, but we actually really love these behaviours and we love these values and we don't see any point in changing them. And it was an interesting, it was a really interesting learning, I suppose, for this, the new CEO and, and also for some of the newcomers like myself that went, oh shit, people actually do believe in these. And then you could hear them talking about them in different meetings. So it was guiding decisions that we were making. You could see people would play back a behavior or a value of the business um, that did that. So for me, it was, again, that my philosophy for managing these teams is, Always have that results and um, and behaviours in there as well. Um, the other bit too for us is is always just having it really clear around. Let's let's set the vision. Let's keep it simple though. Um, let's not overcomplicate it. Let's get all the the buy in with the teams. Let's make sure everyone understands the role they play. And then the other bit for me in terms of just managing sales teams is you know um, what gets what gets measured, you know, what gets managed gets measured or what gets measured gets managed. Um, and I think that's, you know, if you can't measure outcomes and all the rest of it, it it's hard actually to, to manage those sort of things. And um, so we've found that, I've always found that really important is, you know, getting people to buy into the goals and making sure we can actually measure those goals and where, where we're heading to um, and making sure everyone understands the why you know what are we trying to achieve, and how am I trying to achieve it? what's the role i'm I'm doing there as well?
1: I also think um again, looking you know over the bridge metaphorically from c b the the line was you know the fact that h r wasn't in your business wasn't a transactional you know division they were actually very strategic, and you know Bob was basically a very pivotal part on the executive team. Can you sort of tell us a you know a bit more about culturally you know how hr can really make a difference
2: yeah look it was they, they, it was a pretty simple model actually when you came in because it said the values will drive the behaviors the behaviors will drive the culture of the company the culture will drive the engagement of our people and the engagement of our people will will drive the engagement of our customer base mm. and when i when we looked at it And again, just talking about that measurement, we we always measured where we were on our values. We measured how we were going on our behaviours. So each year, everyone would would be measured on the 10 behaviours. And that was all done by 360-degree feedback. So you had feedback from your boss, you had feedback from your peers, you had feedback from your team. And it was pretty... And if you create an environment where you can get very open and honest feedback... And you know what? I reckon most people know where they're rated on those behaviours, where they're rated on those values. The great thing about open honest feedback is there's sort of nowhere to hide. And and when you do receive it, you're sort of, okay, I get it. I I think that's right. And then a lot of that then just really drives individuals to to manage themselves, to make sure, because part of that, and especially as you become a leader in this business, you know our old h r director Bob Barber, used to say to us he goes, "You know one of the hardest things is actually managing yourself and your behaviors because they have so much influence on others, especially when you 're in um, leading roles
0: yeah so mark, um, th- that was a really uh, a really interesting career sort of dynamic where we just you know we were speaking a little bit earlier about how you do need to go across channel within a career path that that straight line progression isn 't something that uh, really um, you know um, works these days it might have worked 20 years ago um, but it's certainly really being cross-functional across a number of uh, channels is something that is crit- pretty critical to a career path so look uh, I'm going to jump on to um, one of the big areas that we want to cover which is sales disruption um, can you tell us a bit of a time uh, here at Lyme where where you know you've you've uh, led and your team or your team have led in a way that's been very disruptive to the market or disruptive, you know, to, to bettering, you know, to improving your position in the marketplace.
2: Yeah. I've Probably got two examples here, if you, if you wanted to hear those, one, one was a product that we did um, called Tap King, um, which we were sort of like looking to disrupt the beer, um, the beer market offering. Um, and as you know, there's sort of two, two types of offers is one, the tap beer, which is in all the on-premise and then there's the package beer in the, in the off-prem. And when we launched tap King, tap King was trying to create or recreate some of that draft beer experience at home. So 80% of, you know, all beer is drunk at home or, you know, away from venues. Um, and so we, we looked at creating this product and it was a PET bottle, about three and a 3.3 litres um, and it was a really disruptive move at the time. And we got some fabulous support from all of the customers. I think it was probably one of the best executed NPDs um, for a, for a new space a new, new, new category sort of thing um, that I'd ever seen. And it went ballistic when it first got into market. And, and we, we actually thought this was going to be a 40, 50 million liter um, concept idea. Wow. And um, what was interesting was is that the um, all the hype around it and the fact that it was recreating draft beer at home, the actual product itself didn't actually live up to that. And so we were charging consumers about 30% more um, for the, for this product. And what we found is over about nine to 10 months is that, after they'd experienced it, the, they didn't sort of think it was worth that 30% more. And we had a couple of technical issues with it as well. Um, and it's been an interesting one for us because it was, um, we had to put in special plant and equipment to actually produce these, to fill these bottles, um, to put the, the, the cap, the right caps on them as well. And we ended up incurring quite a big write-off at the end of it. And it was interesting how there we were trying to be disruptive and you could get some fantastic lessons out of that. And you could go back through and understand um, you know w- what 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 didn't add up and why the consumers balked at it towards the end of it. Um, or you sort of go, What a disaster, and we never want to talk about that. And in actual fact, we did the latter for quite a while. We were like, What a disaster. We've had to write that off. Um, that was terrible, blah, blah, blah. And there were so many good things that we did with that that we could have pulled out and said, let's focus on all the real positives here. So it was a a good learning. And it was probably because we haven't had too many new products that had failed. So it was one of the, and I think that's a something that all FMCG have to get, you know, so much better at, um, is actually trying lots of things. And if it doesn't work, dust it, go to the next thing and, and not worry too much about it. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a, you know, I think, I think if we had our time over again, I, I, you know, technically the product didn't stack up, but how we did everything and got everyone on board for it, it was quite incredible. So great learning to come out of that.
1: So what I love about that, Mark, is, you know, I think one of the key tenets of disruption is giving failure its due, you know, not hiding from it, but actually using it as a launching pad for your next success. Um, you mentioned that there were two disruptions. What, what would what would be the other one that you'd like to bring to the oh, probably, table?
2: Probably one we just recently did. It's sort of about 12 months. and I probably took some learnings out of um, when I was at Coke all those years back as well. And again, it was around a NPD. But to give you an idea, it used to normally would take us about 12 weeks to launch an NPD into the marketplace from the first order date. And the selling would be done over, you know, sort of three months, that sort of period there. And um, with the product that we were launching, we were playing catch up because our competitor had a product in exactly the same space that had been absolutely flying and had been for a couple of years. And so we just couldn't afford to take those 12 weeks to actually get this product. And we had to do it way, way, way quicker. So we basically just turned the playbook upside down and just sat down and said, right, if we wanted to get this in marketplace in one week, what would we need to do? Mm-hmm. And so we basically worked out, um, you know, a, a massive plan, huge plan. Um, it was all so much to do with the, the pre-sell. Um, it was so much to do with the, the pre-orders. It was get all the customers on board. And it was also, we're a very structured environment in sales, especially in field sales. We have a journey, um, journey plan. Um, our customers like those journey plans. They like to know when you're going to turn up and what day it is and how long you'll be there for and, you know, you're going to add some value. So we turned all that upside down and, and instead of doing a lot of this stuff face-to-face as well, we did it over the phone or on email and all the rest of it because that's when you can get real speed to market. And it was pretty incredible actually because uh, right across Australia, we pretty well got 100% arranging within the first week. Um, and it was and, and it was sizable too, because overnight the product didn 't exist a week later, you went into any bottle shop, any off premise even in the on prem as well we did um, you know about three thousand tap points for this as well. It was there in front of you, and if you can combine that through with the above the line, all of a sudden you 're making real impact over a short period of time so um, that was a great learning for us. It was actually something that was really celebrated. We got the, everyone behind it. We, had, we did a bit of competitive, sort of, or, or we call it achievement behaviour, but you know, it was a bit of competition between each of the states, who could get there first and who could overachieve their results. And We made a lot of fun about it as well, and we had a very big celebration up in, um, in Queensland at a conference and awarded all of the teams and, um, and, and the individuals that did outstanding work in that space, um, but again, beautifully collaborated with the marketing team, with all of our customers. we got really good alignment across everything. So it took a huge effort. I don't think you can do that with every NPD. You can only do that with some of the big ones. But it was a good thing to ask the question around, um, if you want to do it in a week, how would you do it? And that's where, that's where we started that exercise.
0: Excellent, mate. And, uh you know, as part of your journey, obviously, uh, in your career path, there's, uh, I'm sure there's been uh, a number of mentors. Um, mentors are obviously very important to all of us. Uh, they can be within the business environment. They can be in your own personal you know, disruption space. But, uh, you know, can you give us a little bit of a uh, backstory to, you know, some of those mentors along your along your journey? And, uh, you know, what, what advice you were given that still, you know, sticks with you today? Yeah, look, it's been um, – I've always tried to learn from –
2: always been quite curious and inquisitive. So I've always tried to learn from, from others. Um, And that could be peers, that could be leaders, um, that could be people from other industries. Um, So started off, you know, many years ago, I did an an MBA at the AGSM and it was great just starting to get a, a collection of people from different industries that you could actually speak to understand what their challenges were, how they address some of those challenges you found out then very quickly that we all face very similar challenges. And you also found out that the grass is always not greener on the other side, that maybe you should fertilize your own on the other side as well. Stop thinking it's better elsewhere. Um, So that was there with, with any of the leaders I've had and and their leaders, I've always taken the opportunity to, to have chats with them, to ask them how they would approach things and, and, and do things. And, not having necessarily formal mentors, but informal ones, because every time you'd speak to them, you might get an opportunity to ask something and, and learn something about that as well. Um, I did know when I, 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 got a, um, I got a promotion to the sales director role here at Lion, and the previous sales director I'd caught up with, with him. And I remember one of the things he said to me, he said, look, what made you successful in the previous level or role is not gonna make you successful going forward now. Uh, and, and one of the big things he said was, don't try and be across every decision. You don't need to do that. He said, your hardest decision will be is to decide on which ones you need to get involved in. Um, and he said, really, you'll be making less decisions at that new level, but there'll be more important decisions. Um, but it was like, it, it, it was spot on too, because you just didn't want to micromanage and you wanted to empower others to actually, actually do that. Um, and as I mentioned before, as too, one of the I think one of the, the, the great bits of advice that that I've got um, was just around that being able to manage yourself. And um, it's been lucky at Lion, they've actually they do provide us time to time with external coaches, and um, I, I really find the external coaches um, really, really, really useful. I, I must say, when I first had an external coach, when I had uh, been. Um, sent up to Brisbane after Adelaide and had a few years up there and they provided a coach for me. And I thought I'd go along and the coach would give me all the answers. And it was quite interesting because the first session was like, hang on a minute, what are we paying them for? She wants me to come up with the answers. Um, so it was an interesting experience to start with. But then I started diving into that coaching field a bit more and understanding it a lot more. And those coaching sessions were all about discipline, reflection, and it's, it's a skill that I think every leader needs to have. Um, and you've got to be mindful enough that you can see what those, um, what, what, how your behaviour and how others are responding to you. And you've got to be able to reflect afterwards and then work on areas that how you would avoid those behaviours, which may not be as becoming as, as collaborative as... as um, as you'd, as you'd want them to be, um, you can sit back and go, right, how do I check in before I go into meetings to make sure I'm going to show up the right way? And um, you know, if you're coming off the back of a meeting when you're, you're annoyed about something or something's happened, you, you need to gather your thoughts and make sure you're not taking that into the next meeting because you're just wasting everyone's time there. So the coach has been really, really, really beneficial to me, but it's probably more the skill lessons in the end that you have to coach yourself and uh, you've got to be able to work out techniques to do that.
1: So a lot of great advice that you've garnered over your 20 years or 20 odd years in uh, the FMCG industry. Could you tell us how the actual role of sales director has changed over the last say five years? Because you know Jamie and I have often reflected that you know, sales has changed a lot um, since you know we were national account managers around the year 2000. So can you tell us uh, you know, some of the changes you've seen you know, from a sales director's point of view? Uh,
2: oh, Look, I think in this space now, if you look at the, the customers at the moment, they are moving so much with pace. Um, it, it's pretty incredible um, what they've... The, the changes that have happened in that space, whether it's digital and online and click and collect and con- even just convenience... Um, That whole space, you know, delivery, that retail environment is going super fast and our customers are going super fast in that space as well. And in the past, I think we probably had some of the suppliers had a few more resources. Um, We we probably had a bit more time and we were probably leading a lot of that thinking. I would say now the retailers are equally leading that thinking, if not ahead of quite a few of the, the suppliers as well. Um, I mean, some of the biggest challenges around that is all that, um, you know, how do, how do we bring a point of difference to, to them? Um, how do we tap into them with, with, with all their trends? So I've seen a real switch because I've seen now that we can't just take our strategy to our customers and say, this is what Lion Beer Australia is going to do. Would you like to get on board? They're like, hang on a minute. This is our strategy and this is your strategy, and the two aren't aligning, so we're going to follow our strategy. So we've, we've quickly worked out, we talked about that before, customer at the heart. We've got to bring the customer at the heart um, into what our business is trying to achieve, and that's a, that, that's a big step because, you know, there's a lot of people in the business that have been for a long time and they go, these are our brands, and this is what we're our brands to stand for, and this is what we, how we want the retailers to sell and promote our brands. And that may not be the way that retailers want to do that. So it's a real reversal now. It's got to be so much more collaborative um, and it's got to be both understanding each other's objectives and goals and finding that common ground um, and, you know, working out the best way to get there. But, you know, you you just can't, back in the old days, it would be a fair bit of tell from suppliers to retailers and that just doesn't
1: cut the mustard these days. And what about uh, competitors as well? I mean, again, without referring back to the old days, as such, you know, when I was at CUB, it was very much CUB versus Lion. It was, you know, the battle of all battles. And now, you know, if I go to, you know, the an up and coming licensed venue, you might find that Lion and CUB actually don't have the, the share of the beer taps. You know, it could be, you know, it could be a craft brewer, it could be a a, a different disruptor. How are you going about confronting that as a new challenge?
2: Yeah, that, that's a really interesting question because I, I think for a long time, Lion and CUV just looked at each other and that was all we kept our eye on. And all you wanted to do was beat that, you know, your, your big competitor. And that was back when it was a, it was a duopoly.
0: Mate, uh, that's, uh, that's a great piece of advice because there is a lot, a lot of competition out there in, in your space. And uh, um, what, one of the things that... Um, one of the things I want to touch on, Mark, is um, look. Our podcast is really our, our mine, and Mark, one, mine and Mark's initiative to bring the podcast to life was really to hear the stories and the journeys of people like yourself. We know that there are a lot of young, young up and comers in the account management in this whole disruptive, uh, you know, marketplace, wanting to to get a seat at the table and to grow very quickly. You know, if you were, to, and that, and by listening to these podcasts, they can actually hear the journeys of some of these you know icons that have have taken their time and have gone across channel to to get to where they've got gotten to in 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 their businesses. Where, you know, if you were to look back at, at yourself, uh, you know, at 25 years of age, what advice would you give yourself? In hindsight, looking back, um, you know, uh, you know, obviously you were traveling a little bit at the time, but uh, if you're in FMCG today, which you're obviously managing a big team, what advice would you give to a 25-year-old coming through the, the system, you know, now within FMCG?
2: Yeah, look, I, the, the biggest one is your career is not going to be linear. So y- you are going to move around. Um, and I'd really encourage people that do come in, uh, into the industry is, is keep moving around. The most, a lot of companies now, you know, sort of shrunk in layers. There's not as many sort of levels, but there's so many great opportunities and skill sets to um, learn across the business in all sorts of different areas. And, you know, look, all of the studies show that people that can have one, two, three sort of functional area experiences, um, that's going to help them be a better leader in the future. Um, So, don't just think it's all going to be sales or all going to be marketing or all going to be finance um, find ways to cross your paths over into different areas and you' need to be a bit brave about that and you need to have a bit of confidence about that and a lot of people would probably may not have that sort of confidence level. Um, I would just say just sort of really really back yourself if you're curious um, you know you can be able to, you can do these sort of moves within existing businesses. Um, there is a fair bit of safety around that to do that. And we do a lot of that line. We can sort of put people in different roles. It may not work out every time, but don't worry the, the, what you would have gained from that experience um, will put you in good stead for the next role as well. So yeah, be brave and and, and, and look left and right at all the different opportunities because one, you're gonna learn more, you're gonna build your CV um, and you're gonna get some great experience as well. as well. So.
0: That's a great bit of advice, mate. And, uh, you know, well, you know you've, you've gotten to the heights of sales director here. What do you see as your next uh, challenge and journey? So, what, you know, you said you've had business, you've had coaches along the way. You're, you're still getting coaching, I'm, I'm guessing. You're, you're providing coaching, I'm sure, every day as well. But, you know, what do you see as your next steps and, you know, you know the next phase in your journey moving forward, Mark? Yeah, it's a look. It's a really good question. <laughs> it is. Um,
2: oh, look, I, I I do. I say to people all the time, like I, I absolutely love my job. I do. I, I love the company I work for. Uh, I lo- love the people I, I work with as well. The, the product, the um, the 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 customers out there, the industry, and all the rest of it. And so. Um, it's been a great journey for me, an absolutely great journey for me. Um, without doubt, now, we're starting to look at different areas within our business, and we're starting to do some investments in, like say, Remedy, the kombucha company. Um, we've just done Four Pillars, the gin, um, and we've got some other startups that we've got involved in in a program called Unleashed, which we're investing in as well. So there's some really interesting things. So... Um, I would say over the next um, we're doing a very big installation of SAP at the moment. So we'll just get through that for the next sort of you know, six to 12 months. But I think there's going to be some great opportunities coming up. And that's what we're trying to do within line as well is um, the, the, the beer business will always um, chug along and do really well. Um, we get good results out of that business. But there's going to be lots of little bolt on acquisitions and, um, and, and different businesses we invest in, which will give people opportunities. So for, for me personally, I'm hoping one of those opportunities will come up in the, in the near future where you can go into a bit of a new area, a new industry, get some new learnings, um, but still work within sort of the line the environment as well.
0: Perfect. And, uh, mate, uh, look, just a quick one in terms of uh, our weekly blog. So uh, Mark and I put out a weekly blog for over the last year. Uh, that's how uh, we, we reconnected with uh, you guys here at Lyon. Uh, you know, do you get to read the blog often? Is there any, have you got any advice for us on our blog? And does you know, some of it resonate? And obviously certain ones do resonate to different people. But, yeah, any, any, any thoughts you can share with us on our blog and how we can improve that? look. Well, the, the reason we got in contact with you guys because we love that blog that you're putting out,
2: especially around customer centricity. Um, and it was it was a bit of bit of music to my ears because we were doing um, work with, within here. It, it, I thought it was more a catchphrase in here as opposed to the real substance of putting the customer first and the customer at the heart. So it was great to speak to um, both yourself and and Mark and 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 learn a little bit more about that and how you actually embed that in the business. And I think we're still a a long way from doing that. Um, But that one in particular, I thought you're right on the money there. You've got some great thinking behind that. Um, And I I think that's where FMC is sort of heading to. But I think it's any industry is sort of heading there. And I think you can see that with the Amazons and Ebays and all the rest of it. you, you've got to be in that space so
0: and it changes so quickly like right? the customer uh, is changing so quickly so what they want is changing so quickly as well so yeah uh, keeping up with that so uh, mate uh, mark um that's sort of going to uh, bring us to uh that's that last uh, 20 minutes half hour that's been run away pretty quick mate um have you got any uh, questions anything you want to ask mark before we wrap up
1: no, nothing to add, but just to, to say to Mark, uh, you know, you lead the way with your own personal disruption. So it's a uh, little little uh, wonder why, you know, Lion has been doing so well. You know, And even down here in Melbourne, I never thought I'd be going to a bar, you know, picking up a Furfy and, and enjoying a Lion product, but I am so well done.
0: Keep supporting that Furfy. It's flying along at the moment. <laughs> Fantastic, and mate, thank you for your time. I know that you've got a busy day in front, and uh, we really do appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners are going to appreciate uh, the journey we've taken them on, and uh, you know, uh, we'll um, uh, you know uh, catch up with you maybe in a, a year or two and see uh, you know where that where the career and where the journey's going and what's what's the flavour at that time. So, uh, mate, really appreciate your time.
2: Thanks very much, guys, and well done too with the um, the podcast. And this is a um, a fantastic thing to do for the industry. So um I, I hope
0: it goes really well for you fantastic thanks mate thank you cheers see you mark cheers then well mark that was uh, a great uh, opportunity to catch up with mark powell from uh, from Lion. Uh, he's an amazing guy and uh, really uh, uh really took some some great stuff out of that mate so what were the three uh, standouts for you today mate yeah
1: you know, the areas that really stood out for me was you know i really think he's a leader that embraces the notion of giving failure it's due i think A lot of times, you know, A, we don't encourage failure and B, if failure happens, we want to shelve it. But I think, you know, he he gave that example of, you know, having draft beer at home and how excited they all were about the opportunity and how fantastic it was going to be. And and unfortunately, you know, they were left with some write-offs and it didn't work as well. But they've used those learnings to, you know, accelerate other NPDs. Uh, So I think that's fantastic. I really like the fact that, you know, you're hearing a genuine intent from a sales director to be joined at the hip with marketing. And I think you've seen the success of that with Furphy and and other beers that they've brought to the market. And and really the thing that impressed me the most was, you know, he's very purpose-driven. So he talked a lot about being customer-centric. He talked about how values were really important. Uh, he s- talked about how that they stood up to the CEO and said, no, these are the values that we stand by and we want them. So I think all that, yeah is a reflection on who he is and why he's so successful. What about yourself?
0: mate um I thought the fabric of stepping back to grow was really uh, a cornerstone for for mark's journey um and his career path i think um you know to be to move to uh, a new company to move state uh, to go to adelaide um with lion and and start a whole new journey uh, that really and for him to say you know, you know i was fast tracking things at, at coca-cola amateur and when i got to Adelaide I just had to take a step back I had to listen more you know that was really really a pillar and a cornerstone to I think what's made him move on to be a great sales director um you know definitely as a a, a, as a managing director of my own business for 18 years you know one of the things that was very difficult took me a long time to learn which he's just articulated great was about you know picking picking your battles knowing which ones to get involved in um you know which which are the decisions that you need to be across and which ones you you need to look you know basically you know empower others to do and and in turn with that you know and my third thing was this that you know your aura and the impact you have around others as the as the head of sales or the head of that organization or as a managing director you know, you can come out of a meeting which might not certainly not go on the way you expected, but you know that, that rubs off to the rest of the the people around you and you need to be very aware of that and and his coaching uh uh tools and coaches that, uh, over the years uh, you know have, have helped him understand that you know the impact it can have to others so you know they were the three things that really uh resonated for me mark so uh you know, I'd like to, to thank our, our guest, uh, Mark Powell, for today.
1: And we couldn't have done it without the production expertise of Young Gun, Blake Labina.
0: As always, many thanks goes to our creative partner, Ant May from Ant Designs, Sydney's leading digital agency and website providers. So next week, uh, you know, we're going to be hearing from another uh, a leading sales uh, sales manager, sales director. In actual fact, he's going to be uh, another entrepreneur, an owner, owner operator that's started uh, from nothing and uh, he's got a great brand and uh, that we're all very well known. So we're looking forward to uh, intro- introducing Troy and the, and the team at Nexpa. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to that next week.
1: No, I can't wait till next week.